Good morning, church, and happy Mother's Day to you moms out there. We are so grateful for you. Uh, for your love, your support, and, and what you do and, and the part that you play in the family. We are so grateful uh, for you moms today and really every day. Uh, they say that uh, every day should be Mother's Day, and I agree. Uh, now that I'm uh, living in a household as a father with uh, a child and a mother, uh, just recognizing all that moms do and probably some things that I, I still don't recognize that our moms do. We are so very grateful for you and want to say happy Mother's Day to you this day. Church, uh, it's church again. Uh, it is the 10th of May. We are glad that you are tuning in for this service and we look forward to all that God has for us today as Pastor Mark comes to share God's word and challenge us from the book of Acts yet again. Would you join me in prayer if you are able, wherever you're at? I'd encourage you to stand with me as we pray this morning together. And then uh, you can have a seat right afterwards and Pastor Mark will come and challenge us from God's word. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful uh, for you for your love, for your mercy, and your care over us, especially in times like this. We draw near to you, and we thank you for all that you do to provide for our needs. God, one of those needs is uh, through our mothers, and we are so grateful that you have provided us with uh, mothers, uh, grandmothers, those that are taking care of us and raising us. God, we thank you for them. They are a true blessing. God, on this service today, I pray that you would, as you always do, meet with us where we are at in our homes, and our, our cars, or, or wherever it may be, God, that you will meet with us this day as we uh, dig into your word and look for the truths that you would have to communicate with us. Pray that you have been preparing our hearts and our minds to be receptive of those truths and just put us into a position and a place where we can evaluate ourselves and grow more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. God, we pray your blessing on Pastor Mark today as he comes to share and challenge us. Pray that you would use him in a mighty way and guide his words, give him the things to say that are from you. Help us to recognize that this man is a, is a spokesman for you and that these are truths that you are communicating. Help us to pay attention Help us to evaluate and help us to become more Christ-like as a result. God, we love you. It's because of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 uh, this morning, uh, we will finish out uh, the chapter as we have been uh, working through uh, the book here for the past number of weeks. Uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of the suffering Messiah's commitment, his uh, resolution in chapter 50. Now, we know of his prophecy in chapter 53 very, uh, very well, very familiar. But in chapter 50, verse 7, um, Isaiah writes this, uh, speaking of the Messiah, that is Jesus. But the Lord God helps him. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. When you hear that uh, figure of speech, uh, set my face like a flint, uh, 
Uh, we know that is a figure of speech. And it describes an unwavering determination. Uh, the Messiah was determined to do what God had called him to do. And some uh, over 700 years later, uh, Luke chapter 9 says this of Jesus. When the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. He was determined. He was committed to his ministry. As we look this morning at Acts chapter 20, we're going to see Paul's unshakable commitment to follow God wherever God would lead him. Uh, we're going to see Paul's example. We're going to hear his exhortations and his admonishments. And our invitation this morning is to see these things as, as an opportunity or a call to us to consider our own commitment to Christ. Uh, last week, we began chapter 20, and we noted Paul's travels uh, through Macedonia to Troas, uh, all the while, while he was encouraging the churches. And last week, we talked about that, that measure of encouraging one another. And I want to commend uh, you all for your encouragement as, as we have been a part in uh, you've been encouraging one another. Many of you have been encouraging me. And so I give thanks for, for that uh, once again. We come to verses 13 through 16, and Luke continues to detail this, this journey, this unfolding journey toward Jerusalem. Uh, Paul had a particular window of time that he was to get from Troas to Jerusalem. And, and the, the, uh, the end time was the, uh, the day of Pentecost. He wanted to be there uh, to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So there was a, a time constraint. So verses 13 through 16 uh, describe his travels and, and what he did. And it says that in verse 16 that Paul decided to sail past Ephesus. So that was an intentional decision not to go to Ephesus and um, because he wanted to get to uh, Jerusalem on time. So presumably or possibly he was concerned about being detained. Uh, certainly there's a chance of being delayed, whether that's by the church wanting him to stay or, or by opposition, which he had uh, experienced quite a bit of. So instead of going to Ephesus, though, he, he says, uh, I'm going to call the, the, the elders uh, to come to where he was. And that was some 40 miles away in Miletus. We see that in verse 17. Uh, we do know this about the Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was near and dear to Paul's heart. Right? We, re we remember that, that Paul stayed there for quite a, a long time. We actually find out that he'd been there, he's going to have been there for three years. That's the amount of time that he, he stayed there. So before leaving them again, without any assurance that he would ever see them, and we don't think that he ever did, uh, he wanted to share some parting words. And he does so with um, the elders. And the elders here, th this word elder, um, could be translated bishop. Elsewhere in the Bible, we see the word overseer or pastor shepherd. Uh, any of those terms are really all synonyms of the, same, of the same office. And that's what these men were. These were elders, the, the office of elder. And Paul goes on to say in verse 28 that they were made overseers or bishops or pastors by the Spirit. So these were important spiritual leaders in the church. And Paul brought them to him 
uh, to talk to them uh, before he would leave. Throughout the book of Acts, Paul makes a number of addresses to various different groups of people. But this address here, uh, beginning in uh, verse 18 and going through verse 35-ish, is different than all the other ones. Because what it does is it shows to us a different side of Paul. Up till now, we've seen Paul as the evangelist. We've seen Paul as the defender of the faith, the apologist. Uh, These are the kind of uh, experiences we've seen with Paul. But now we're seeing Paul as a pastor uh, caring for, for, for Christians. In fact, one study Bible says that this is the sole example of a speech to just Christians in the book of Acts. So Paul began this, this message, this address, by uh, reviewing the past as he reminded them of his commitment to ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says to, to that church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so whereas this message is to the elders, and if you're listening today, most of you are not in that category. Most of you are not uh, holding the office of of elder in in a church. Um, So you might say, well, does this, how does this apply to me? What will the truths do apply to you? Uh, Many of the truths can apply directly to you because um, you too, as, as a Christian, should care, should have genuine concern for the church of God. And that's what Paul is writing to and what he is saying to these elders. So a review of the past. Look at verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Uh, Paul begins his address by stating his commitment to God and to God's people. He was committed to serve them. Um, One one commentator uh, writes about this idea of commitment, and he says, uh, says this. Commitment means different things to different people. Consider. Uh, Consider the young man who waxed eloquent as he poured out his heart's devotion in a letter to the girl of his dreams, saying, My dear, I would climb the highest mountain. I would swim the widest stream. I would cross the burning desert, die at the stake for you. P.S. I'll see you Saturday if it doesn't rain. That wasn't the kind of commitment that Paul had, right? That, that wasn't that kind of fickle, um, part-time commitment. No, Paul was, was, was committed. He was uh, serious about his commitment, unshaken in his commitment, as we will see. Paul was motivated by service, not selfishness. He was motivated by serving God, not serving himself. And listen, we all serve something or someone, you do, I do, we all, we all do. So let me just ask you, who, who do you serve or what do you serve? And before we answer that too quickly, might I just add, not, not just who do you say that you serve, but by the evidence of your life, your choices, your actions, passions, priority, what or who do you serve? 
We all serve something. Verse 18 shows us that Paul gave himself wholly to serve God. At the church here in Ephesus specifically, he lived among them the whole time for the first day. So Paul, Paul was in it, right? He came to Ephesus. He wasn't one foot in, one foot out. He was in it with the church of Ephesus. He was in it, as we said before, uh, for three years, the longest of any of his stops by, by far. Verse 19, Paul's service was to the Lord with humility, with tears, and with trials, he says. And Paul could serve this way because of the gospel. See, not only did Paul believe the gospel and teach the gospel, but it was actually the gospel itself that led him to humility, led him to be tearful, led him to endure trials. See, the gospel makes us humble as we understand that we don't deserve God's kindness. Martin Luther, uh, his final words on his deathbed were said to be, we are beggars, this is true. We're all in need. And the gospel reminds us that we can't earn what God has given to us. So from these gospel truths comes humility. And that's how Paul served with humility and with tears and with trials. Ministry includes them. It included for Paul, and you can be sure if you give yourself wholly to serving the Lord, so too will trials and tears accompany your service. Paul was committed to God. His commitment to God extended to God's people. And in verses 21 and 22, we see that it, commit, it extends even further to how he uh, worked with those people by sharing God's word. Look at it in verse 20 and 21. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jew and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel produced in Paul courage. He didn't shrink. Courage to declare, to teach, to testify. He, he didn't avoid the hard subjects. He didn't uh, hesitate from telling the truth or declaring, verse 27, the whole counsel of God. We find that Paul didn't do this just publicly. He did it from house to house. He did it privately too. And what did he do? He testified. And what did he testify of? Verse 21, of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, the repentance goes where? Repentance goes to God. Well, why does our repentance go to God and our faith in Jesus Christ? Well, our repentance to God is because our sin is against God. Our sin dishonors God and his holiness. Psalm chapter 51, David says, uh, of this, of this, uh, of this point that in sin my mother conceived me. He says that uh, in his sin against Bathsheba, that against you and you only have I sinned. He he acknowledged that there was sin in him and that his sin was against God. Of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does our faith go to Jesus? Because it is in Jesus is the one in whom we are relying on for salvation. You know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe on him, on Jesus, 
shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're believing on Jesus because in Jesus, we are made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for our sake, he, uh, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We need Jesus. So this repentance and faith, this is what Paul later calls in verse 24, the gospel of the grace of God. Let me just ask you this morning, let's just pause for a second and say, do you believe that? Do you believe that's the gospel and have you accepted it? Have you repented and have you believed? Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you stumbled on this video. Maybe somebody shared it with you. Uh, maybe you're, you've never heard of this Jesus who loves you. Paul's mission was to declare it, and it's every Christian's mission as well. And this morning, I want to declare it to you that God has made a way for you to know him. And our response to that is to repent and to believe. Repent and place your faith in Jesus. Would you do that this morning? If you have questions about that, maybe the, the person that shared the video with you could answer those questions. If there's something we could do, feel free to reach out. We'd love to try to walk with you through those questions. Verse 22, Paul moves from a review of the past, kind of talking about his history in Ephesus, to giving a testimony of the present. Look at it in verse 22. Now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Verse 24, but I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Uh, Paul was absolutely committed, as we've said before, to the ministry that God had given to him. Verse 22 tells us that he was constrained by the Holy Spirit. We see this word uh, pop up elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when Paul says that he is constrained by the love of Christ. This is a, a compelling, a, a motivating of here, of the Spirit to do what he has been called to do. It did not matter the cost, Paul was going. He actually knew that trouble awaited him. He, he literally knew that, that there was going to be imprisonments. There was going to be affliction that would accompany his ministry. We also see here in uh, verses 24 through 27, a number of word pictures of Paul. Uh, verse 24, we see him as a runner, right? Finishing his course. This might remind you of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse uh, 8. that says that he has finished his, his race. Uh, verse 24, we also see Paul as a steward. He has received a ministry from the Lord. And as a steward, he was then faithful to, to complete, faithful to serve his master. Verse 24, we also see him as a witness, testifying to the gospel. Uh, testifying to the gospel. In verse 25 and 27, we see him as a herald. 
We see it as proclaiming and declaring. Those two words are present there. Now, he's a witness in verse 24, and he's a a herald in verse 25. The difference is, is that a witness tells what they have seen. A herald tells what the king tells them to say. And Paul was both. Paul certainly testified of what God had done in his life, but he also heralded the message of Jesus. And fifthly, verses 26 and 27, we see Paul as a watchman. Now, that word doesn't appear anywhere there. But by the words that Paul uses, specifically at the end of verse 26, Paul may have had in his mind the prophecy from Isaiah, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 3, chapter 33, um, where he, he talks about, about this idea of watchmen. Uh, a watchman, um, let, let's say it this way, the, the Old Testament prophets were, were to be basically a watchman. And they were to sound the alarm when they saw danger. And if someone uh, did not heed the, 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 the sound of the alarm, did not heed the warning, then they had no one to blame. And the prophet was without guilt because he had done his job. Well, Paul says here at the end of verse 26 that he's innocent of the blood of all. And the reason that he could say that is because he fulfilled faithfully his responsibility to sound the alarm, we could say. Or what he says in verse 27, not shrinking from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The responsibility that that Paul carried, the responsibility that elders carry, is to teach the whole counsel of God. And Christian, there is a responsibility that you have to tell the truth as well. To speak the truth in love. To know the truth and to speak it with confidence. Paul was committed. He was unshaken in his commitment. God had given him a ministry, and he was bent on completing it. But we might wonder, with so much opposition, imprisonments, afflictions, so much uncertainty, he didn't know if he was going to see these people again, how did he endure? How did he actually do it? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in sin, which so uh, clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We run the race. Paul ran the race because he was looking to Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this, Whatever gain I had, I counted for loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. A few verses later, he says this, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. Paul pressed on because Jesus had pressed on because Jesus has done it. He now enables us. He's the author and the perfect of our faith that enables us to be faithful in our course. The story is told of a young pioneer missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands. This missionary's name was James Calvert. While en route to the islands, this was 1830s, 
the ship captain, who was said to be a, a humane man, uh, tried to dissuade James from going. And finally, crying out in desperation, you will lose your life in the lives of those who go with you if you go among such savages. To which Calvert calmly replied, we died before we came. For this young missionary, he had already determined. He had already died to himself. He had already committed that no matter the cost, he was going to fulfill his ministry. Paul could have said the same. We could say for Christians, we are to die before we die in order that we might live. After all, again, you heard this before, Jim Elliott's famous quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To give up this life, to, to die to self, is not some courageous, noble act. We are giving up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. Paul treasured Jesus more than anything else, even his own life. Listen to verse 24 once again. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Could we say that? Could you say that? It's a, it's a convicting question for all of us to ask ourselves, do we count our life as any value or precious to ourselves? The last verses of Paul's address, he offers several pieces of advice. We're going to point out three here in verses 28 through 35. Look at the first in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. The first piece of advice is to watch out, uh, to, to pay attention, to, to look out. Paul was warning these leaders of the coming dangers for the church. He's going to, uh, we see him affirming them as overseers, that they have a responsibility and he's also expressing the importance of the church. He calls it here the church of God. The church bears the name of God. It's not just a church. It's not just the church. It is the church of God. You, Christian, are part of the church of God. There are some today who want to um, believe that the church is irrelevant or the church has is, is failed so much that what, what good is it? Or that it's a bunch of hypocrites or, or, or whatever other bad thing people might say about the church. And yet what we find in the scriptures is that the church is God's church. That makes it awfully important. And secondly, Paul says that God obtained it with his own blood, with his own son's blood. That must mean that it is very important that Jesus would die for the church. Take that in, Christian. Take that in. If that's how God views the church, if that's true, and it is true that we've been bought by the blood of Jesus, that we are called the church of God, then the church matters. It should matter to us. 
So Paul calls them to watch out. First, watch out for themselves. We see that in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Paul starts with them. Before we go look at it elsewhere, he says, look at yourself. It starts with us personally. See, there's a real danger, not only for elders, but for any Christian to, to look at the dangers outside rather than the dangers within our own hearts. Paul's message, again, is to the elders, but it's true for all of us. The perils that we face are not simply out there. Listen, Satan would love for you and I to prioritize, to um, be preoccupied or fixated on the faults and the failures and the shortcomings of other people. Uh, those, those people out there, our leaders, whoever they are, and, and, and pick and point at all of those things, which may or may not even be true. And even if they were true, the point is, is this, is that Paul starts by saying, watch over your own heart. Check yourself. Pay attention Satan would love for you to be distracted with everyone else's faults while overlooking your own. We are all in danger of this. I'm in danger of this. You're in danger of this. Proverbs chapter 4 says, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it flows the issues of life. May God help us. May God help us to, to see our own hearts, to watch over our own hearts. Listen, our heart is wicked, right? Desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's deceitful, Hebrews, or, uh, Jeremiah says. And so we pray that the Spirit would convict us of sin and it would guide us into all truths, John 16. There's a real danger in our own hearts, but we know that that isn't the only danger. He goes on in verse 29. For I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. There's a real danger from without, from outside the church. Here Paul uh, calls those who, who seek to do harm fierce wolves, uh, not sparing the church. Uh, these would be false teachers. Uh, my, my mind went to uh, John chapter 10 where it said of, of really of Satan that, that a thief comes to kill and destroy, talking about sheep and the flock of God, and there are those who want to do harm. Here Paul is saying from outside there are those who, who want to harm the flock. And Paul knew this. Remember back to chapter 9, uh, 8 and 9. Paul is um, having his way with persecuting the church. And in chapter 9, it says that he was breathing threats and murder against the church. That, that, that phrasing, breathing threats and murder, gives the illusion of, of, uh, of, of the panting of a snorting wild beast. And so, so Paul knew what this was like. He knew what it was like on both sides, right? To be the one who was ravaging and now the one being ravaged. False teachers are as real today as they were ever and as dangerous today as they have ever been. Paul was calling for the elders to guard their flocks. Guard their flocks from those who would intentionally mislead or seek to harm the church. Elders carry this responsibility out of love. Love for God, love for his word, and love for his people. Even today as God's people, we too, you too, carry the responsibility to know the truth. To be what we saw in chapter 17, the church of Berea. Those who, who would 
seek out to see if what was being said is true, to know the scriptures, to be people of the book. So watch yourself, watch outside, watch inside, verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that there, uh, that remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. So there's not only the danger inside us, um, outside the church, but it's within the church. It's hard for us to believe this, uh, but the church has experienced this over the years, the church of God, that is. The rise of men who seek to draw disciples away from Christ and unto themselves. John calls this these, these men antichrists, not the antichrists, but antichrists. Men who, who seek uh, their own gain. Third John, um, John talks about a specific man, Diophanes. Um, and and um, this man who, who, who did not acknowledge the authority of the elders. Um, he was talking wicked nonsense against them. Uh, he was refusing to welcome the brothers. He was stopping people from even coming into the church. There are real dangers from within, and we need to have our eyes open. Paul's saying, pay attention, look out, watch out. That's the first piece of advice. The second piece is found in verse 32, is to live by grace. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Uh, here in his final words, Paul uh, prays for them. He commends them to God and he points them to grace. That is God's love and his undeserved kindness that's shown to us through Jesus. Grace, we know, not only saves, it does that. But here in verse 32, grace builds up, edifies, and one day, finally and fully, it will sanctify us completely. The third piece of advice is found in verses 33 through 35. Paul calls them to be givers. He says of himself, I coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who worked with me. So first, first he is saying, um, I, I didn't covet anybody's stuff. I wasn't trying to make a name for myself or build my, my wealth in ministry. Uh, secondly, he says, I worked hard. Uh, Paul is bivocational. He made his own way. He wasn't taking advantage of anyone. Verse 35, in all these things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And the third thing he says here is to be a giver, to practice generosity. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Ministry is all about giving, giving of our self, giving of our resources. And could I just take a moment and just say to our church, we just want to say thank you for how generous you have been. Uh, in the recent weeks, in these moments where there's a ton of uncertainty and a ton of other things going on in your life, uh, the giving, uh, the financial giving to our church over these past two months has been uh, amazing, and we are so thankful for you. Uh, this is a, is a sign, this is evidence, right, of, of what Paul is talking about. This, this, uh, this sense of remembering uh, to, to 
that it's better to give than to receive. There's more blessing in giving than in receiving. So Paul's three pieces of advice, watch out, live by grace, and be a giver. He closes out this, uh, Luke closes out the, the chapter in verses 36 through 38. And here we get this insight into the closeness of the relationship between Paul and the, the leaders in the church. Here we see that they, they gather together after he's done his address and they pray together. Then they wept together, embracing one another. And with sorrow, with sadness, they said their goodbyes with no assurances of seeing each other again. We find that Paul loved the church in Ephesus and they loved him. They're an example to us today. Uh, we've heard of Paul's faithful example in his ministry, and that example is for us to follow. We've heard his exhortations uh, to obey. We've heard his admissions or his warnings that we ought to heed. The question then is, are we, are we committed by grace to follow Christ? To follow Christ without indecision. To be unshakable in our commitment. Will we commit ourselves to the ministry that God has given us? Paul is very clear about what God had called him to do, and he was committed to doing that. You and I need to get clear on what God has called us to do. And I want to say this to you, namely, he has called every Christian to glorify God, to glorify him by making disciples. At its most foundational level, that is what God has called each one of us to. Now, how and where and what that looks like specifically in your, uh, in your life, that differs greatly, obviously. But we need to be clear about what God is calling us to do. And then, with unshakable faith, do it. Commit to do it. What God's called us to, he will equip us for, to complete for his glory. May we not count our life as precious to ourselves, but finish our course. Tony Burita says, the goal of life is not to have a long life, but a full life. One lived to the glory of Jesus Christ. You and I can do that. We can, by grace, as we treasure Jesus above all else in reliance on his spirit to empower us. And may God help us to do just that. Let's pray. Father, we have seen the, the example of Paul, heard his exhortations and his warnings to this church in Ephesus, which we find applicable in our own lives today. God, as we hear Paul's confession, his uh, faith in wanting to, to live his life in a certain way, that he's willing to give up his life, in order to follow you. I pray that, that we might be able to echo that same commitment. Not so that we're like Paul, but as we imitate the one uh, who Paul imitated, as we follow Jesus, as Paul followed Jesus. And Jesus certainly had set his face to follow you. He had certainly committed to do what you had called him to do completing his task. And so God, I pray that you would give us faith and courage and boldness to complete the task that you have for us. 
to complete our mission, to run our course, that you might receive the glory in it all. May our life testify to the goodness of God, your faithfulness to us as we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.